From VOA, Press Conference USA, here is your host, Carol Castiel. Welcome to Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. Joining me on the program is current affairs intern Emma Wilcox. She specializes in women's studies and journalism at Miami University in the state of Ohio. Our special guest on this edition of the program is Dr. Ushma Upadhyay. Dr. Upadhyay is an expert in abortion safety, access, and restrictions. She serves as the Director of Research for the University of California Global Health Institute's Center of Expertise on Women's Health, Gender, and Empowerment, where her current research focuses on efficacy, safety, and acceptability of telehealth for reproductive health care. She's also the co-author of the publication, Family Planning, a Global Handbook for Providers. Following last week's leak of the Supreme Court draft decision in the Dobbs versus Jackson women's health case that would effectively strip the federal abortion protections established by the landmark Roe v. Wade decision in 1973, we turn to Dr. Opadhyay. She will discuss abortion in America, the many implications of this ruling, and the politicization of the issue. She joins us via Microsoft Teams. Dr. Opadhyay, welcome to the program. Thank you. And of course, I'm delighted to welcome my colleague, Emma Wilcox. Thank you, Carol. Good to be here. So, Dr. Upadhyay, let me get your reaction to this leaked ruling that looks like it's going to overturn a woman's constitutional right to have an abortion embodied in, as I said, what was considered settled law, Roe v. Wade, more than 50 years ago, 1973. Many people are seeing this as a very big setback to not just a woman's right to choose, but for women's rights in general, in a sense. What's your reaction? Yes, we had an inkling that this was coming based on the hearing in December, but hearing the news it is very shocking and brings on a lot of concern for women in the months ahead, in the years ahead. Even though, as you said, you saw this potentially coming, given the complexion of the court with many conservative justices, the three that former President Donald Trump appointed to the court, and he appointed them with a litmus test, even though they wouldn't admit it, let's say, in the hearings before Congress, before the Senate. He did choose them because he felt that they would most likely be in favor of overturning this decision. Again, this is what analysts say. But what will abortion access look like now in the United States without the federal protections of Roe v. Wade? It's looking like many states, as many as half of U.S. states. So the effect of this decision is that each state will be able to decide whether abortion will be legal or not. And if it is legal, they'll be able to decide up to how many weeks of pregnancy women will be able to get an abortion in the state. So we do expect up to half could ban abortion altogether. This is very concerning because traveling to another state is just tremendously difficult for many people. What we know about people who need abortions is it tends to be people who are trying to survive on low incomes. And the journey of traveling to a clinic, an abortion provider in another state could be several hours long, and it could be a journey of several days even. Exactly. What you're saying is the decision, should it certainly come to pass, will have a disproportionate effect on minority women and those without economic means. Well, let me turn now to my colleague, Emma Wilcox, for a question. 
Abortion has become a very partisan issue, with Republicans and conservatives largely leaning pro-life, with Democrats and progressives being more pro-choice. How has the politicization of abortion contributed to this recent Supreme Court decision and other efforts that we've been seeing to restrict abortion access? I see abortion as a health issue. My background is in public health. And I think that anyone who cares about women's health and women's safety will ensure that people have access to abortion and safe methods to end their pregnancies. I think politics can often interfere in healthcare. We see it in other domains as well. And it really should be healthcare experts who determine policy around abortion care and, and all reproductive health. Recent polling of likely voters reported by the newspaper Politico asked citizens about taxpayer money being used for abortions, which is a narrative that we have seen GOP members leaning heavily on to support their pro-life arguments, to garner their pro-life base. To what extent is federal funding actually used to pay for abortion services? That is a great question. Currently, federal funding can only be used to cover abortion for extreme cases of rape and incest and cases where the woman's life is in danger. However, it is actually government's responsibility to take care of the health of its citizens. And we collected data on all of the publicly advertising abortion facilities across the United States. And we just published a paper and a first trimester abortion, either a medication abortion or a procedural abortion costs about $600 for the procedure. And we know that people often, very often don't have the funding to pay for an abortion so much so that it delays them. They are trying to collect the money to pay for the abortion and they get pushed further and further in their pregnancy. So they're more likely to end up having a later abortion than if it was covered by their health insurance. So just as health insurance covers the costs of treating all primary care, it seems to me that it would be actually cost effective if governments paid for all reproductive health care as well. Dr. Upadhyay, there's just no way of getting around the politics of this issue. As much as you have focused on the health implications, the so-called pro-life argument is that we're talking about a fetus, a human being, and therefore abortion should not be sanctioned, even though the arguments are couched in different ways and as we see from this likely decision. But talk a bit about the health implications what will women's health care look like, reproductive care look like, you know, without this option or with an option that is only available in certain states? You know, what are we looking at in terms of women's health? So someone who wants or needs an abortion in a state where it's not accessible will have three options. The first option is that they could travel very long distances to another state to obtain an abortion. That could lead to delays. They have to gather the money 
to make that trip. Many people don't have cars, so they have to rely on public transportation. So that could be excessively hard for many people. The second option is that they can attempt to self-manage their own abortion. And that could be safe if they have the appropriate medications to take and the appropriate information for how to take it. However, many people may rely on very harmful methods. In our research, we found that people who face greater barriers to abortion care are more likely to resort to other methods to end the pregnancy themselves. They'll use herbs, which are less effective and cause delays. Or, you know, we have a small proportion who are using harmful methods, such as hurting themselves, hitting themselves in the abdomen, other harmful methods that really will result in a concerning situation for women across the U.S., an increase in emergency department visits, which also will lead to higher costs, healthcare costs in those states that ban abortion. And the third way is that they will carry to term. They will be forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy to term. And we know that that also has harmful consequences. You know, we know that pregnancy and childbirth leads to 14 times the risks of complications than having an abortion. And so all of those unwanted pregnancies are likely to make the existing disparities in healthcare even greater. Well, that's an excellent point. And Dr. Ushma Upadhyay, I know you're in research, you're a public health scientist, but I would like you to talk about a very basic issue, and that is why women choose to have an abortion. And the reason I wanted to ask you that is because it's possible that there's a misconception that people who are pro-choice and are in favor of having legal abortion available, that somehow, you know, that's all there is. No, we have contraceptives. Sometimes they fail. You know, there's so many reasons. And so I'd like you to talk about Mm -hmm. those. And then the other one is even the so-called self-managed abortion, that could be at risk because many people, feel that the implications of this decision won't stop at banning legal abortion, at least at the federal level, but they might want to then go to contraceptives, at least those like the IUD or a pill, the so-called Plan B, that in a sense are the equivalent of having an early term abortion. So I heard two questions. I'll start with the second one. Yes, we are already seeing states that are introducing legislation to ban Plan B or emergency contraception. There are a couple states that are moving in that direction. And there's some language in the draft decision from SCOTUS that suggests that the same principles that they're using to allow states to decide whether abortion should be legal can also be applied to same-sex marriages or other rights that people already have throughout the United States. So it is very concerning that rights that have been in existence for so many years are being rolled back so easily just based on one court's decision. Just to repeat my first question, why is it important for a woman to have abortion as a choice? Why is abortion important? So contraceptives fail very frequently. They fail. There are many cases where people are not prepared when they have sex, or there are many other reasons why people, women particularly, often don't have power in a relationship. Our research has found when people are forced to carry unwanted pregnancies to term, they end up staying in very violent relationships. And so 
there are many reasons why people want an abortion. One of the main reasons is because they want to get out of the relationship that they are currently in. And then another, one of the most common reasons is because they are already parents and they want to take care of the children that they already have. And so that is a reason that many people explain for why they need an abortion. Another reason is that they simply cannot afford to have another child. And so it's so important to ensure that people are able to have access, safe access to and their unwanted pregnancy. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you're listening to Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. Our special guest is Dr. Ushma Upadhyay, Director of Research at the University of California Global Health Institute's Center of Expertise on Women, Health, Gender, and Empowerment. I'm Carol Castiel, along with Emma Wilcox. This is a reminder that our PCUSA podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash PCUSA. You may also follow us on Twitter or connect with us on Facebook at Carol Castiel VOA. Well, here's a shout out to a loyal listener and Facebook fan, Professor Ejuxman Ejux. He's a lecturer at the University of Calabar in Nigeria. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to PCUSA at VOA news.com or like us and leave a comment on our Facebook page. And I know my colleague Emma has some more questions. So let me turn back to Emma for another question. Thank you, Carol. Have we seen complete bans being effective in reducing abortions? What measures could be more effective to reduce the number of abortions performed in the United States? Are there alternatives to a complete ban? Yes, that is a good question because people assume that a ban will actually prevent abortions. We know currently in Texas, there is a ban on all abortions at around six weeks, and that has cut the number of abortions by half. That means that people are going elsewhere to get their abortions, they're traveling, or they are managing their own abortions. They do have an effect in forcing some people to carry their unwanted pregnancies to term. But the majority of abortions, people will still travel, they'll do whatever is necessary to end those unwanted pregnancies. Another method that many people are using is self-managed abortion, which I mentioned, and this is ordering medications online. And there's a clinician often on the other side that gives them information. It's all through electronic communication. However, this really puts people at legal risk. And of course, it is people of color. It is immigrants who are always the ones who are at most legal risk. They are prosecuted for attempting to self-manage their abortions. And so there's risk, probably most risk in being criminalized for doing so. Indeed. And and I have a quick question there, Dr. Upadhyay. I'm not sure if you already answered this, but the self-managed, that's only good for like the first trimester. Isn't that correct? That's absolutely correct. It works in the first 12 weeks. Efficacy declines after 12 weeks. And so um, higher dosages are needed to end the pregnancy. But you're correct. It is 
primarily, mostly effective in the first trimester. And in order to self-manage, I mean, I'm not sure if you're referring to the pill, the plan B or other. Oh, because- so plan B is emergency contraception. So that is only good in the first 72 hours after unprotected intercourse. And that actually prevents pregnancy. So abortion pills is the use of mifepristone and misoprostol. It's a combination of two medications that stops the pregnancy from growing and starts uterine contractions that expels the contents of the uterus. So it is a process that occurs over the course of a day. It causes bleeding and cramping to end the pregnancy. Does a patient have to be overseen by a doctor? Is that Um, In the United States, States, currently, medication abortions make up 54% of all abortions. It's more than half. And people can obtain their medications from a clinic. And the entire process happens at home anyway. The other new development in the United States is several states. These are the ones that protect abortion access. So California, New York, Illinois, these are states that are allowing telehealth for abortion. So this is a new development where you have a clinical consultation online and the medications are mailed to the patient through mail from a mail order pharmacy. And it is very safe and effective, equally safe as getting the pills, the medications from a clinic. Dr. Upadhyay, I wonder if you could put this in a global context. Where does the United States fit in the panoply of countries that allow abortion, that declare abortion is a legal right? Now we're going backwards, mm-hmm. um, one could say, taking away a right, which is very strange. Uh, usually we think of ourselves as wanting to move forward, but many have interpreted this decision as really rolling back women's rights, reproductive health, and so forth. Where do we fit in the globe? You're absolutely correct. There are so many countries that are liberalizing their abortion laws. I know that Chile has recently moved in that direction. Many countries throughout Latin America are liberalizing their abortion laws. And actually, it's funny, they're saying that people in Mexico, there are groups in Mexico that are helping women in Texas right now obtain abortions. And so it's really nice that we are having international help. People are receiving international aid in Texas to help them get abortions. It's very lovely to see that cross-border collaboration and help. But within the global sense, you know, it is very unusual that the United States, given its large economy, that it would be rolling back rights, women's rights, compared to Canada. I mean, Canada has had very liberal abortion laws. The United Kingdom also has very liberal abortion laws. So it is very unusual to see these abortion rights being rolled back. And especially for women, for women to have progress in the world, they need reproductive autonomy. They need to have access to be able to control their fertility and have only the number of children that they desire. And so it is key to economic development. It is key to just being able to achieve one's goals is being able to control whether and when to have children, to be able to control the timing of one's fertility is so central to human rights, to reproductive rights and achieving one's life goals. The two are intimately related. I always tell 
people who work with me like Emma, young interns, female ones that, you know, you need to control your fertility and have an independent source of income. Then the rest is fine. But it's critical to be able to control one's fertility. And having access to terminate a pregnancy through abortion is one of the many options that women should have. At least that's what people like you are saying, you know, who are really not just in the field, but even, you know, in other fields that relate to women's progress. Let me now turn to Emma for another question. Thank you, Carol. Another question from the polling that was reported by Politico that I referenced earlier attempted to gauge support for abortion policy that, quote, allows for abortions to be performed for any reason up to the very moment of birth, end quote. Roe v. Wade allows for abortion up to the point of fetal viability, defined as the third trimester in the Supreme Court decision. What percentage of abortions are considered late term and what factors contribute to people deciding to pursue abortion late in a pregnancy? And could you speak to this point of fetal viability as well? So, yes, currently Roe v. Wade requires that all states allow abortion up to viability. And after viability, states can restrict or even ban abortion. And many, most states do. There are some situations where people will need an abortion after the point of viability. And viability is kind of a very general term to imply the point at which a fetus could not survive. There are some health conditions where a fetus can survive, but will have, you know, no quality of life, or a baby could be born, but die within minutes. And so there are many cases where people will need an abortion um, in extreme cases of fetal anomaly or cases where a woman's life is in danger and an abortion is needed to save her life. And so these are cases where, you know, even in California, post-viability abortions are not available in most cases. And so people have to travel to states where it is available. And so, you know, currently the vast majority of abortions occur in the first trimester. I think it's something like 94% or 96% of all abortions in the United States occur before 20 weeks of pregnancy. And so we're talking about um, more rare cases where someone might need a later abortion. We don't use the term late term. It's not a medical term. We usually call it a later abortion to imply that it's later in pregnancy that they need that medical care. Going back to the fact that some states in this country, and they will be mostly states with Democratic legislatures, will still have legal abortion, and those mostly Republican-controlled will not or have very restrictive abortion laws. How do you see that playing out in terms of people trying to find access, and will that pose an undue burden on states like New York, like you said, Illinois, California, and others, because I know that they want to be able to help others in these restrictive states. Yes. So first of all, regarding the polling, we know that the majority of Americans believe that abortion should be legal in at least some cases, right? They don't believe in an all-out ban against all abortion because they understand that people will need abortion care. You know, I think that this decision will have an impact on Democratic-led states. 
already. The governor of California has announced that he'd like California to become a sanctuary state for people who need care. Currently, there are several laws that are being considered in the legislature that would protect abortion access and expand um, abortion care. One of those bills is providing some funding for people who come from out of state and need abortion care for people who qualify low-income people who need financial support. And then there are other laws that invest in provider training because if abortion is banned altogether, clinicians, doctors, and nurses in those states will not be able to get the training. They will never learn how to provide abortion care. And these are the same skills that are needed for miscarriage care. So a spontaneous abortion to treat somebody who has a miscarriage, a doctor or nurse needs to know what medications to give the patient and also how to do a procedure to remove the contents of the uterus after a miscarriage. And so California is investing in training programs to ensure that people can get the training to continue to provide abortion care. So now let me turn to Emma Wilcox for another question. Without the federal precedent of Roe v. Wade and only a handful of states likely to allow unrestricted access to abortion, what kind of consequences are we going to see in the population of people of reproductive age, particularly between the generations? Yes, I think young people of reproductive age may be forced to carry pregnancies to term. And I do think that this will have a greater impact on the economy, on people's careers, on their professional goals, on their ability to continue their educations. I am expecting to see long-term impacts, particularly in terms of gender equity. Disparities between men and women will increase significantly if women can't control their fertility and, and if they don't have that reproductive autonomy. Dr. Upadhyay, you know, we talked about how not having access to reproductive health care, particularly abortion services, how that's going to have an impact on lower income women. But particularly, how do you think this will affect African-American women, Latino women, and other minorities? Well, we know that the majority of people accessing abortion care currently are women of color. 28% identify as Black, 25% identify as Latinx or Hispanic, um, 6% identify as Asian or Pacific Islander. We know that the states that are planning to ban abortion have a higher population of people of color. So, we are expecting these policies to disproportionately impact women of color as well as poor people, and that is going to create extreme disparities. And as I said before, maternal mortality is still a large issue in the United States. We have women dying, and this problem is concentrated among Black women. Black women have the highest rates of maternal mortality. So by forcing women to carry unwanted pregnancies to term, we are exacerbating these disparities that already exist. So I am concerned about the harm that these policies will create for women of color in the United States. That was Dr. Ushma Upadhyay, Director of Research at the University of California Global Health Institute's Center of Expertise on Women's 
Health, Gender, and Empowerment. Dr. Upadhyay, thank you so much for your time and your terrific insights on this critical topic. Thanks so much for having me. On Wednesday, Democratic lawmakers tried but failed to pass a measure codifying the right to an abortion. We now turn to VOA congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson, who was outside the Supreme Court on Thursday, May 11, to provide an update. Fencing around the nation's highest court this week as demonstrations mount in response to a leaked draft opinion showing the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to overturn Roe versus Wade, the decision affirming a constitutional right to an abortion. I'd really prefer that abortion remain a constitutional right. It's health care. I don't think the government should be getting in between anyone and their doctors. Public support for abortion rights has slightly increased since the draft opinion was revealed with just over half of Americans, 53%, saying they do not want to see Roe versus Wade overturned. But across the country, many are welcoming the court's anticipated move. I'm hoping more babies will be saved. That's what I'm looking for. I would like to see it be illegal completely. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion will immediately become illegal in 13 states and could very quickly be outlawed in 19 more. Senate Democrats tried to prevent that with a vote Wednesday on a measure to protect abortion rights at the federal level. Today's vote is one of the most consequential we will take in decades because for the first time in 50 years, a conservative majority, an extreme majority on the Supreme Court is on the brink of declaring that women do not have freedom over their own bodies. One of the longest steps back in the court's entire history. But Democrats only narrowly control the Senate and didn't have enough votes to pass the measure over Republican objections. Our Democrat colleagues want to vote for abortion on demand through all nine months until the moment before the baby is born. A failed show vote that will only prove their own extremism. McConnell has promised to pursue a federal ban on abortion if Republicans win control of the Senate in this year's midterm elections. Meanwhile, the White House has warned that if Roe versus Wade is overturned, the nation may see birth control restricted and abortion classified as homicide. I think we're at serious risk. Uh, you heard, uh, you noted Mitch McConnell and other Republicans in Congress are talking about a national ban on a woman's right to choose. The U.S. is currently one of seven countries worldwide that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks of pregnancy. That was VOA congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson. Press Conference USA on The Voice of America was produced in Washington by Emma Wilcox with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Join me again next week for another Press Conference USA on The Voice of America.